a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. From CGTN headquarters here in Beijing, this is Global Business. I'm Lin Lu. Coming up on the program. Carflow reciprocity. Chinese President Xi Jinping calls for enhanced political mutual trust, dialogue, and cooperation during his meeting with European Union leaders. New action plan. China plans to increase the proportion of non-fossil energy consumption to 20% by 2025, cut PM 2.5 density by 10% from 2020 levels. And we take you to the COP28 climate talks in Dubai, where young climate activists and innovators are making an impact with their work. Chinese President Xi Jinping has called on China and the European Union to be partners for mutually beneficial cooperation. President Xi made the remarks while meeting with European Council President Charles Michel and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen on Thursday in Beijing. Zhang Dan has more. Strengthening political trust, building strategic consensus, and stepping up dialogue and cooperation for the good of their people—this is what Chinese President Xi Jinping called for when meeting with Charles Michel and Ursula von der Leyen. The two EU leaders were in Beijing for the 24th China-EU summit, the first in-person China-EU summit in over four years. President Xi said, amid the increasingly turbulent international situation, the China-EU relationship has strategic significance and implications for global peace, stability, and prosperity. He said, since the end of last year, the relationship has shown a good momentum of consolidation and growth, and high-level dialogues in the strategic, economic, and trade, green, and digital fields. Have produced rich outcomes. This year marks the 20th anniversary of the China-EU Comprehensive Strategic Partnership. During the meeting, presidency urged the two sides to develop a right perception of each other, promote mutual understanding and trust, and be wholehearted in developing relations. He said China and the EU should not view each other as rivals, reduce cooperation, or engage in confrontation. In terms of economic cooperation, President Xi said China pursues high-quality development and high standard opening up. China sees the EU as a key partner for economic and trade cooperation, a preferred partner for scientific and technological cooperation, and a trustworthy partner for industrial and supply chain cooperation. President Michel and President von der Leyen said the EU and China are two major forces of the world and important trading partners for each other. The EU sees the long-term steady growth of the Chinese economy as in the interest of Europe. It hopes the two sides will continue to strengthen dialogue and cooperation in the economic, trade, grain, and digital fields, and work together to keep supply and industrial chains stable and secure. Presidency urged China and the EU to strengthen communication and coordination in multilateral frameworks, uphold multilateralism, oppose camp-based confrontation, and promote the political settlement of international and regional hotspots. Michelle and von der Leyen said the EU maintains its One China policy. They said the EU and China have shared responsibilities and interests in keeping the world peaceful and stable. The bloc would like to have close communication and coordination with China, uphold multilateralism and the purposes and principles of the UN Charter, and work for the settlement of regional hotspots, including in Ukraine and the Middle East. Chinese Premier Li Qiang says China and the EU should stay committed to dialogue rather than confrontation, cooperation rather than decoupling, and peace rather than conflict to navigate the direction of China-EU relations. Premier Li made the remarks while co-chairing the 24th China-EU summit with European Council President Charles Michel and European Commission President 
Ursula von der Leyen on Thursday in Beijing. Li said China is willing to actively explore more mutually beneficial cooperation models with the EU. He said China opposes the violation of the basic norms of the market economy and opposes politicizing economic and trade issues or overstretching the concept of security. He said that China hopes that the EU will keep its trade and investment markets open. Michelle and von der Leyen said that the EU is ready to advance high-level dialogue with China to reduce misunderstanding, deepen cooperation and address global challenges. To provide more insights on the China-EU summit and its implications, we're joined by Shi Yan, Assistant Research Fellow at the Center for International Security and Strategy of Tsinghua University. Ms. Shi, great to have you. First of all, how do you think the China-EU summit would contribute uh, to providing stability to the global economy? Uh, yes, we know that after the COVID-19, the global economy experienced a very difficult time. And what followed is the geopolitical crisis the, and the rise of the bulk uh, commodity uh, price. Uh, the inflation became a huge uh, challenge for a lot of economists. So the world, uh, global, uh, the global economy needs uh, very uh, strong uh, uh, dynamics and confidence uh, to make the uh, global economy to recover sustainably. So uh, China and the European Union are the two biggest, uh, one of the uh, two of the biggest economies in the world. So uh, the enhancing of the bilateral trade and economic relationship also give the confidence to other partners of China and the EU and to the uh, global economy. So besides the uh, trade and the economic cooperation, the uh, China EU summit also send a strong positive political signal to the world to make clear what is the real uh, risk to the global economy, to the global trade, to the liberalization of the trade and the investment. So this summit is very important to uh, stand the world, uh, what is the mutual trust, uh, what is the positive influence of the, uh, of the uh, trust for the uh, big economies to give the uh, strong dynamics to the world economy. Well, if we look at the trade volume between China and European countries in the year 2022, despite of difficulties in global recovery, uh, that year we did see that figure rising to a new high. And now the EU is China's second largest trading partner. Uh, it's which industry do you think are expected to emerge as new growth drivers in this bilateral economic cooperation? Uh, the first, of course, is the green industries. We know that a green transition is the most important strategy for the from the line Commission. And the the uh, sustainable development also is our important policies. So uh, both sides have a strong corporate uh, incentives in uh, the technology market and also have potentials to cooperate in the greenfield industries in the third market. The second is the digital and intelligent transition uh, of industry. Uh, we know that China has uh, advanced the digital economy, but in the EU, uh, they also have the strong demand for the digital Digital transition, and uh, in uh, Europe there are a lot of uh, application scenarios uh, in the uh, digital transition in the industrial uh, sectors. So in the digital transition uh, sector, both sides also have the strong uh, complementary uh, cooperation potentials. Besides, also uh, like the uh, finance, the insurance, the services sectors for China and the EU, the two economies also also there are uh, competition, but we can we should say there are 
are more and more potentials for the uh, sustainable cooperation. We know in this year, China-EU trade volume increased 5.6%. Uh, uh, but besides the trade, there are a lot of uh, potentials for the bilateral investment. Before, uh, the China-EU investment, uh, the capital flow are not balanced. Now China has uh, uh, more and more capacity to be an uh, investor in uh, Europe. Uh, especially in the greenfield industry, in greenfield uh, investment. So in the future, in the investment, the uh, uh, the capital flow part, the two sides also will uh, move forward. Mm -hmm. Granny, so thank you very much, Ms. Shi. Please stay with us for more discussions down the program. The president of Springer Nature Greater China, Nels Thomas, says that the amount of scientific output from China exceeds the rest of the world. In an interview with CDTN, he also calls on China and the EU to further enhance cooperation in science and technology. Let's hear what he had to say. Do you still think we need enhanced cooperation on science and technology between China and EU? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is exactly what we should do, and this is also what we are trying here to do um, with Springer Nature. Um, the, there is a clear benefit in um, international collaboration in science, and I think um, in the long run we will all really see it if we are making, uh, again, researchers from all over the world, especially in the European Union, for example, to work together with Chinese researchers. We can clearly see from our data that um, research that is jointly conducted by various by, by diverse teams from Chinese researchers and from researchers from abroad, they are significantly higher in their reception and in their citations and in their usage, which means that the diversity of the different teams coming together really adds something in science. How do you look at the Chinese science and technology development? What's the significance to the world? In simple terms, it's an absolute success story if you look at the last couple of years. If you look at, um, like, for example, the last 20 years, every year since now, and the trend is continuing, um, the power of the scientific um, output of China is growing very fast. So it's now really, China is now a powerhouse of scientific and re um, uh, research output. I believe um, the data really suggests that by um, starting this year, maybe already in the years before, but we are very sure for this year, the number of output or the, the amount of scientific output from China exceeds all other countries in the world. What's your company's future plan in China? I still very much believe in um, the Chinese market. Um, we have expanded our offices during the pandemic, so while many other companies were declining from the Chinese market, we opened a new office, for example, in Nanjing in 2020. Um, and in the last year, I think we have um, grown one-third of our um, staff, so we added um, um, almost 100 people um, in the last uh, 12 months um, and we will continue our growth story so um, as the science as the scientific output rises it's also necessary that we grow our business here so I have faith um, in this development China's State Council Information Office in Beijing recently held a briefing for reporters where Tang Wenhong, China's Assistant Minister of Commerce, shared updates on the work being done in the Shanghai Free Trade Zone. And according to Tang, the focus of these efforts is to ensure full alignment with high-standard international economic and trade rules, aiming to improve the business environment and deepen cooperation and high-quality opening up policies in China. 
promote high-quality opening up policy to improve goods trade convenience, deepen financial reform, reform digital trade service to enhance international cooperation, protect intelligence property and improve labor rights, and enhance risk regulation to create a fair, transparent and efficient development environment. Now let's get into some discussions on China's trade performance. For that, let's bring back Ms. Shi Yan from Tsinghua University. Uh, Ms. Shi, so we did see China's foreign trade numbers increased year-on-year uh, year by more than 1% in the month of November. Uh, do you see this as a turning point from the uh, numbers in the previous months? What is your outlook for trade in the near term? Uh, yes, the China's foreign trade shows signs of a turnaround near the end of this year. Uh, this is because of the our high quality of opening up policies, support policies for the uh, foreign trade, uh, and also uh, because of the recovery of the developed economies and the rise of the external demand. But uh, for the outlook of the trade in the near term, there are uh, still uh, some uncertainties. Uh, the positive factors, as I mentioned, the, uh, the two factors, uh, they are still there, but uh, we know that there are uh, uh, the, the global economy. Uh, how will the global economy uh, recover sustainably? Uh, there is uh, a lot of uncertainties. And on the policy level and the po political level, the protectionism, decoupling, de-risking policies against China are, uh, may still uh, play a negative roles. Uh, for the uh, uh, for the future of foreign trade, so like the China EU summit that the big economies should manage these political risks for the uh, trade and the uh, economy in the future. Thank you very much, Ms. Shi Yan, Assistant Research Fellow of the Center for International Security and Strategy, Tsinghua University. The Standing Committee of the Political Bureau of the Central Committee of the Communist Party of China held a meeting on Friday, which was chaired by President Xi Jinping. The meeting focused on the economic development goals and plans for 2024 and emphasized China's commitment to implementing a proactive fiscal policy and prudent monetary policy in the coming year. Furthermore, there was a focus on enhancing industrial supply chains across various sectors and promoting high-level opening up for global economic cooperation. China has unveiled a new action plan released by the State Council that outlines its commitment to improving air quality and reducing reliance on coal. The plan, released on Thursday, sets ambitious targets including increasing the proportion of non-fossil energy consumption to 20% by 2025 and raising the ratio of electricity in final energy consumption to around 30%. To combat hazardous airborne particles known as PM2.5, China aims to reduce their density by 10% compared to 2020 levels. And additionally, the plan aims to keep the number of days with se severe pollution to less than 1%. In specific regions, the plan sets targets for coal consumption reduction. The Beijing, Tianjin, Hebei region and surrounding areas aim to achieve a 10% reduction from 2020 levels by year 2025, while the Yanzi the Delta region is targeting a 5% reduction. The action plan also focuses on green financing initiatives. It seeks to expand funding for clean heating in the northern region and increase credit and financing support for upgrading traditional industries. The International Maritime Organization has set a goal for zero net zero emissions in the shipping industry by 2050. And China, being a major shipping nation, is rapidly progressing towards this goal. Wubing reports. This shipbuilding factory belongs to China's State Shipbuilding Corporation, the world's largest shipbuilding group. 
The facility is responsible for constructing China's first domestically built large cruise ship, the Adora Magic City. The ship employs the world's first set of AC systems that use carbon dioxide as a refrigerant, a much more eco-friendly approach than traditional freron. And this is just one of the many new technologies on board. And the largest global shipping industry exhibition held in Shanghai this year, many of the green technologies used by Chinese firms have attracted the attention of companies from around the world. This Chinese company presented a system called Carbon Capture. The system is specially designed for almost 10,000 ships that cannot use new energy as fuels. The diesel carbon capture system was developed to address carbon emissions from ships. It uses a special absorbent to capture and separate carbon dioxide from ship exhausted gases. It would then be liquefied and transported to land for sequestration or reuse. Decarbonization as a non-stoppable trend has become a hot topic among international companies as well. The awareness in the marine industry is increasing and that we are more relevant than we have ever been before. So it's a good time and a good time for business. China is the right place to be. In the pursuit of decarbonization, China should better utilize its robust industrial foundation, strong resilience, and the strengths in technological research in recent years to provide more technological solutions for the global maritime industry, especially for the goal of decarbonization. Statistics from the China Association of National Shipbuilding Industries show that from January to October last year, over 45% of the new shipbuilding orders received by China were for green ships. And this percentage continues to increase. Wu Bin, CGTN, Shanghai. And for more discussions on China's green transition efforts, let's bring in Jiang Nanqing, Secretary General of the Committee of Green Circular and Inclusive Development of the All-China Environment Federation. Mr. Zhang Gray, Ms. Zhang Gray, to have you on the show. So we know that China has made significant strides in promoting sustainable development, including notable achievements in renewable energy and carbon re reduction as well. Uh, how have these efforts contributed to the global fight against climate change? Yeah, China is the largest uh, greenhouse uh, emission countries in the world. And also China has the energy structure, which coal mining is more dominant than the other countries. All the, uh, the carbon reduction efforts done by China will contribute significantly to the global emission reduction. And also China issued this uh, new carbon target to achieve carbon neutral by 2060, which means then the global will all reach to carbon neutral. So the contribution of China is critical. And we have seen that China recently, there are also the global negotiation meeting on plastic convention, which is also very relevant to the fossil fuel and the greenhouse emission as well. So China is also the largest plastic production and consumption country. So all all this uh, will uh, not only contribute to climate change, but also to the plastic pollution, marine pollution, and then biodiversity conservation. So this all towards to the global, uh, these uh, sustainable developments. And a collaboration between China and the United States has yielded progress in clean energy development and carbon trading. However, there's still room for more improvement. What are the most critical challenges that both nations need to overcome to expand and deepen their cooperation in the realm of sustainability. 
Yeah, U.S. and China are the two largest uh, uh, economic countries and also for the emission countries. And they already had a lot of cooperation before clean air on transportation and also on the methane reduction, which uh, U.S. lead this uh, global agreement. U.S. has already brought a lot of uh, this international experience like uh, by EPA Environment uh, Protection Agency, these are how to have these uh, Clean Air Act, Act, and also the like for EV vehicles, uh, uh, they have these uh, credits to encourage uh, EV vehicles such as uh, for Tesla. Uh, it, it has more income than from the tax, uh, carbon tax than uh, from the, the market. So this all this uh, success uh, will bring this uh, experience to China. And also U.S. has already uh, the first country to have this uh, voluntary uh, carbon market. So this will all uh, be helpful for China to learn. And also uh, I think in the future we need more uh, exchange and uh, on scientific and technology levels with uh, U.S. and especially in the investments in the new technology uh, for carbon emissions. And in your opinion, Ms. Jian, how can businesses play a bigger role in the global pursuit of a sustainable future? Yeah, business is always the 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 core uh, part of the for the for the sustainable development. As so far now, the, uh, the it's very different from before the linear uh, economy, which circular economy needs to think of the whole life cycle of the products, not only the production, but also the consumption and the disposal stage. So for all these uh, whole life cycle, the policy is also, and the governance is also very po uh, important to provide in the enabling conditions as the uh, like a COP, a UFCCC and the plastic convention, and also the upstream, uh, these uh, chemical uh, companies, uh, branding companies, they should also think about their responsibility uh, to be responsible for the recycling of the products. And also the uh, SMEs uh, will be very responsible for technology, uh, uh, this innovation, and also the product design to make this more recyclable and then can get into the supply chain. So we can see now the global economy, it's already uh, very linked and the supply chain are still in China. The manufacturing are still, uh, industry are still in China. So the business uh, would really play a role to make the reduction from supply chain and also the use of technologies uh, in the in these uh, whole industries uh, and especially in the consumption side and also consumers will also have more roles and responsibilities uh, in the future. Well, great insights. Thank you very much. That's Ms. Zhang Nanqing from the All China Environment Federation for us. Thank you very much for your insight. During the UN climate conference, the president of COP28, Sultan Al-Jaber, urged nations to come to an agreement addressing the attendees at the climate talks in Dubai. He emphasized the need for countries to step out of their comfort zones and work towards a final deal. Jaber expressed his belief that these talks had the potential to bring about a transformative paradigm shift in addressing climate change. However, earlier, President Jaber faced criticism from his, uh, for his statement that there is no science supporting the need to phase out fossil fuels. And he has since acknowledged the importance of moving away from such power sources, recognizing their essential role in combating climate change. 
Young people are making a significant impact at the COP28 climate talks in Dubai. UNICEF is collaborating with China to empower students and bring young climate activists and innovators to the conference. Their goal is to showcase their work and perspectives to world leaders. Adele El Maruki has this report from Dubai. Youth and children are the most vulnerable to the impact of climate change. The UN says that one billion children are at extreme high risk. COP27 in Egypt last year saw a landmark achievement of establishing the first youth and children pavilion in the climate talks. Here in Dubai, the initiative continues. What we do as UNICEF is really to provide that platform to young people, not only that we prevent even worse emissions, that we protect them against climate change, but also that they are allowed to participate in decisions that affect their future. That's why this youth pavilion is so important, because this is every child's right. This is about their future. Now, children should not be asked to solve the problem that world leaders collectively have generated, but they should be able and enabled to put pressure on those world leaders to take decisive action right now at COP28. This is a platform for advocacy and most importantly, showcasing youth-led innovations for engaging with climate challenges. Sargassum is a floating seaweed that's found in the Caribbean and areas like that. It washes up on shorelines and chokes the shoreline, decomposes and releases a lot of harmful gases. It also acidifies the ocean water. So our solution uses forks to rescue any sea life that's trapped in the sargassum. And we then utilize green waste from hotels and other businesses in order to create organic compost with the sargassum. The climate issue of uh, related to sustainable development, it's about intergenerational equity. So the young generation will be the um, next generation of leaders, you know, in 20 or 30 years. And uh, in that time when we already enter into the, you know, race to net zero, we are actually leading the society to that target. And also I'm very happy to see that uh, youth are being more active in this process because we are not just like calling out to world leaders. We are actually using our uh, research to impact this process. UN programs are in place to engage more students in climate action. And UNICEF says cooperation with China in that regard has been commendable. We have very active collaboration with the government of China. And that is really important, not only because there are 300 million young people and children in school in China. So just imagine what we can do if we can harness the power of 300 million young people and equip them for a green future. The UN's children's body is concerned about the impact of climate change on schools. A UNICEF report suggests that when schools shut down for at least three months because of climate episodes, like the floods that took place in Libya's Derna, that could shrink the lifetime earnings of students by 15% when they grow up. That's why UNICEF has launched programs to build climate-resilient schools to make sure that youth continue their work for climate change. Adel Mahroui, CGTN. Dubai. And with that, I'm closing out this edition of Global Business here on CDTN. Thanks for being with us. I'm Lily Lou.